Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Today we'll be joined by the Pittsburgh Steelers' red zone threat, their outstanding young tight end, Eric Ebron, an engaging and full-of-life personality. And then we'll be joined by a former Dartmouth linebacker, a man that went on to serve in the Cincinnati City Council, who was a standout linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals for 14 years. Reggie Williams has a new book out called Resilient by Nature, Reflections from a Life of Winning on and off the field with the forward by Russell Wilson, the Seahawks' great quarterback. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN analytics and statistical guru, Evan Kaplan, as he looks ahead to some of the great quarterback matchups and play in week five of the NFL season. And when we think back to week four, we will look back on the first COVID crisis of the NFL. It was a little wild. It was a little chaotic. There were the usual hysterical calls from people to delay the season, pause it, cancel games, juggle the playoff scenario, push back the Super Bowl. And those are all things that the NFL eventually may wind up doing, but they're not looking to do it. And they don't want to do it right away. They want to preserve those moments for when they're needed. And Saturday morning was the moment that triggered that conversation. And let me just say, Saturday was my daughter's 12th birthday. She's out running errands, picking up balloons, getting the cake, getting the things that she needed for six girls to come to our house. And I am walking out of the supermarket when I get a call that Cam Newton has tested positive for COVID. That was a fun couple of hours getting ready for that party while we're reporting the news on the Patriots starting quarterback testing positive and all that ensued. Now, I also will say, in talking to a number of teams around the league, it's very stressful for these coaches and front office members, especially the GMs that get the calls, to get these early morning texts every day about who's testing negative and who's testing positive. And the calls come in at five in the morning. Think about when you have an early morning wake-up call to go get to the airport, which we used to do back in the day, not as much anymore. But think about when you have to get up early to do something. It's a restless night of sleep because you know that you're getting up early. Think about when you have something that's going to occur early in the morning. It, it's not conducive to a restful night of sleep. And that's what front office members have been dealing with all season long, especially when there's any sort of outbreak in their facility about COVID. They get contacted at five, six in the morning by the testers to inform them of the latest medical results. And it sets off a chain reaction within the organization. It's hard enough to be a general manager, a head coach of a football team with everything that goes on in the course of a season, and it's a lot more than people know, it's even harder when you introduce the complications that come along from COVID that these teams are having to deal with all the time. It never seems to end. And I've heard that over and over from people that the stress has reached higher than normal levels. And yes, it's a privilege to work in the NFL, and yes, people are blessed, but yes, I'm telling you, that the stress of this has worn on people. And then, of course, they have to deal with the fallout of not winning games, as we saw happen with Bill O'Brien, the Texans head coach, who wound up getting fired after an 0-4 start, despite the fact that he's won four division titles in his first six seasons. And I know that he was the piñata around Texas and in many places around the league. But, again, let's not dismiss the fact that he did a good job there four division titles in six years and some of the moves did not work out and the moves left the Texans fans angry but the results speak for themselves and that's why he was a good coach for the first six years and that's also why he got fired on Monday because they were 0-4 and now the Texans will go forward with Romeo Cornell. One thing I want to point out there even though the Texans will begin their head coaching search they cannot speak to interview or hire 
somebody like the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who's under contract this year. They can go and talk to a guy like Jim Codwell, who's unemployed right now and does have a contract, but people that they'd want to talk to, like an Eric Bieniemy, like a Josh McDaniels, like whoever, they have to wait to speak with them as long as they're with a team. So the Texans head coaching search will wait. The polls for COVID will keep coming, and we will begin to get ready for week five in the NFL season. All right, before we get to today's podcast, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast that will help you with your fantasy football teams. Make sure you're listening to Fantasy Focus Football with ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefan Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp. You'll get daily strategy previews and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this week's first guest. Joining us now, the former first-round pick of the Detroit Lions in 2014, a man who has starred in Detroit, Indianapolis, now Pittsburgh, the tight end, Eric Ebon. Eric, appreciate the time today. Thank you very much for joining us. Got to ask you, what it was like to have your bye week four weeks into the season? Um, a momentum shift. Uh, I feel like, I mean, our bye week was week eight, and, you know, you don't, you don't ask for a better setup for a bye week than week eight. So it kind of threw us for a loop. But, I mean, like Mike Thomas said, man, I mean, we as a team and as the players in this locker room, man, we ready to play wherever, however, whenever. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of kind of what we prepare for, kind of what Mike Thomas talked about all offseason. You know, this will be an unfair uh, unfair season. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it just might be unfair. There are things we're going to run into this season that are just going to be unfair. So we prepare for it mentally, um, and we're ready for whatever. I mean, I, I got to play golf a little bit earlier than what I wanted to, but I'm in Pittsburgh, so I guess, I, I guess, I guess that was fun. Well, think about it this way, Eric. I don't know that you would have been playing golf in Pittsburgh on November 1st. I don't know that that would have exactly, happened. Exactly, 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 exactly. Right. Perfectly socially distanced golf, early <laughs> early October in Pittsburgh. Beautiful. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Again, from a football standpoint, Mike Tomlin is exactly mm. right. How about the personal standpoint when you find out, like, there's a lot of planning and preparation, personally yeah. speaking, because you guys sacrifice so much. Your time is not yeah. your own. And you know when your bye mm-hmm. week is coming and you look forward to it. But what about personally and how that impacts your schedule? When you find that it's early on, it's unplanned, it's spontaneous, uh-huh. you can't travel. What's it like personally, Eric? Oh, man. It was uh, – I mean, it was what it was. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, your families and the people around you kind of know what kind of sacrifice you're you're putting yourself into with this, with this business. So – um, personally, man, you, everybody just has to adjust, man. And, you know, you got to send a couple extra flowers back home to the wife and you just gotta, you know, make sure the kid, you, you, you watch the kids that night and put them to bed. You know, you got to make up a few things at home, but other than that, you still got to play football. <laughs> so did you send, did you send flowers this weekend? Oh yeah. 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 I sent flowers, uh, uh, Friday actually. <laughs> Good for you, Eric. Good for you. Oh man. Yeah. I have to, you got to. That's a good thing. How do you feel now in general when you were getting ready to play the Titans last week in a game that didn't happen? How did you feel about the idea that you could potentially playing a team where there was an outbreak? How'd that make you feel? Yeah. Um. Again, I feel like that's a sacrifice we all kind of we all kind of make. Um. Personally, you know, my family stayed in Houston, and I'm in Pittsburgh, and I'll be in Pittsburgh by myself. While my family's in Houston because I didn't personally want them around this kind of environment we knew what kind of environment we were going to play in ultimately we wanted to play the game because ultimately it's the game that we love and it it, it helps us it's therapy for us so we wanted to give the game you know what we love and enjoy and ultimately we knew that we were in a pandemic and we couldn't you know it was going to be different we knew this year was going to just going to be different so we had to adjust and mentally i think Mike Tomlin and his staff did a great job of that this offseason because, I mean, they brought it up every day. So it wasn't like we wasn't hearing it. It wasn't like we weren't, you know, knowledgeable of it. We we we, we came into 2020 ready for whatever 2020 had to give us. What do you think of what it's giving you so far? What are your thoughts on it? 
Oh man, I mean, shoot, we three and zero. I don't know what it's giving everybody else, but <laughs> we doing our thing. <laughs> and your thing has worked out pretty well. What? What? Uh, how good do you think this team can be? It's three and zero now. What do we make of the Steelers yeah. team? Man, I feel I I just feel like we were just getting warm, you know, um, right before our sudden bye week. You know, we were just getting warm. Um, our offense was starting to gel a little bit. You know, it takes some time with a with a with a with an old Wiley veteran quarterback back then, Roethlisberger, slugging that thing. It takes some time for him to, you know, come back from, you know, a, a, a procedure in which, you know, he, he ultimately thought about, you know, the game of football and came back from it. Um, so, you know, it took some time for him to gel. It took some time for him to, uh, for us to adjust, you know, me working with him without, you know, uh, really an off season, kind of trying to get in time or where I could fit in time. So, I mean, three and no man, and to still not even peak, even defensively, I feel like we're still gelling. I feel like our special teams were were so close to you know being dominant. Man, we just we were just heating up, and we honestly can't wait to get back out there to to continue what we were starting. Eric, you bring up Big Ben, and you played in Detroit with Matthew Stafford. You played in Indy with Andrew yep. Luck and Jacoby Brissett, yep. and now in Pittsburgh with Ben. This is the first time you've played with him. What are your thoughts on him compared to some of the other quarterbacks that you've played with? Man, his, it's his chill demeanor. And I think I told him that the other day. Um, it's like when you get in the huddle with him, man, it's like, all right, you guys ready? Like, it, you know, I'm going to come out here and do my thing. I just need y'all. It, it's, so, it's so cool, calm, and collected. With Andrew, it was more like, you know, it was more uh, – you know, you were ready for whatever Andrew had because Andrew had something for everything. So it was more like, you know, you honed in, you're listening, and you, you're ready for whatever Andrew's about to deliver. With, with Big Ben, it's more like relaxed. And with Stafford, man, I felt like we were we were just so like – we were the comeback kids. This Stafford had this this it factor. You know, when he came in a, a huddle, he brought this presence. It's like it's go time. You know what I'm saying? Andrew was – so direct and so, you know, more attentive. And Big Ben's just cool, man. It's really weird. They're all elite, but they all bring something different to the table. And I'm starting to figure it out more with Ben and starting to piece that I piece these quarterbacks, that I, these great quarterbacks I play with. It's pretty dope. And the people say that he has seemed to take a liking to you in the red zone. I noticed your targets have increased yeah. each of the three weeks two in week one against the Giants, five in week two against the Broncos, seven against the Texans in week three. Your target mm -hmm. share keeps going like that, Eric. I mean, we're getting double-digit targets each week, touchdowns. That's yeah. a good deal for that's you. What, yeah, that's what – I mean, that's what we're working on, you know. Um, I kind of I, I kind of blame the offseason, you know, for me and Big Ben not not being able to get to where we want to get to um, with, you know, with the COVID environment and everything like that. Um, but – I feel like he's starting to trust me more. You know, he hasn't really had a player at um, this position as athletic as I am. He's had a player as dominant, and Heath Miller at this position, and Vance McDonald in this position, and Jesse James in this position. He's never had an uh, athletic tight end to be able to play anywhere. And I feel like offensively with Randy and Ben, we're really starting to figure out where I can do a lot of damage and it's been it's been great man every week it just keeps getting better and better for me and it's, as long as I keep making my plays and getting his trust it'll be it'd be great it'll be one hell of a year and I'm I'm excited for it you know you talk about how athletic you are and the skills that you bring to the table I remember the 2014 draft where you were picked do you know the great players that you were selected around yeah I think we had one of the best classes ever uh, ever, um, and we're still and we're still all contributing still to this day to that class. Most of us in that first round, so it just shows you how much talent we had that year, man. It was ridiculous. That 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 draft, if I could go back and just review it, right around where you were picked, you went number ten to the Detroit yep. Lions, right? Number yep. eleven, yep. Taylor Lewan. Number 12, Odell Beckham. Number 13, yeah. Aaron Donald. The Steelers, yeah. Brian Shazier at 15, the Cowboys, Zach right. Martin. At 16, the Ravens, C.J. Mosley. At 17, the Jets, right. Calvin Pryor in there. I don't know where that comes from, but 
Then we got Brandon <laughs> Cooks and Aha Clinton Dix and Johnny Manziel and yeah. some great players in that draft. Great yep. players. Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater, great. another one. And Jadevian Clowney was at yeah. top of the draft. Yeah. Uh, along yeah. with Blake Bortles and Samuel Watkins, Khalil Mack, Mike Evans. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had some we had some freaks, man. The, I, I think it's one of the greatest class. I'll, I'll put our class up against any of the top classes drafted. We have, it, it, we have it, it would be, it, players. It, it, it would be right up there. You know, Eric, I'm, and I'm just listening to you talk and the passion and enthusiasm and intelligence you speak with. Would you want to go into broadcasting or pocket? You want my job when your career's done, when you're done playing tight end. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what, that's what I'm working to, man. I'm, I'm working to that. I love the game of football, man. I'm just a fan of it. I watch it all the time. I'm, it, 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 it saved my childhood. So I'm just the biggest fan ever of football, man. And anytime I could play it anywhere, whatever, I'm, I'm always down for it. Wait, I so talk you, about it. It's just what I like to do. Well, so if you love football that much and you're this engaging, which you are, are you already beginning to prepare for your next chapter? And I'm not trying to rush you out of football here. Believe me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, yeah, what, um, what do you think? Bob? Are you doing anything to get ready for that post-football career? We, me and my, me and my uh, marketing agent, uh, David Merrillis, we were, we were going to start doing that actually this year. We're actually working with a comic book company right now because that's like my, my first love. So we're, we're, we're trying to get into comics and make sure that, you know, what I really want to do has an alleyway. And then I always wanted to be an analyst or broadcaster, um, working with Uninterrupted right now, my first podcast. So it's, it's, it's been going good. The podcast is called 17 Weeks. Um, so, yeah, I am trying to build these avenues to start that, man, because I just love it. I love the game. I love to talk about it. I love for people to truly understand who I am. You know what I'm saying? So it's cool. Now, the comic books, Devontae Parker just released a comic strip online, and he had me do some uh -huh. voiceover work for him. What kind of comic book work are you doing? Um, so I just I just started talking to this company called New Gen, and um, it's, uh, we're still, like, figuring things out. and putting things together, but they have um, a new generation of superheroes that are really up and coming. And I really took a liking to, and we just had a meeting about it again yesterday. And it's, it's, it's super dope, man. I don't want to give away too much because we're still yeah. up and coming, but it's called new gen and it's really, it's really dope. And how have you enjoyed doing your podcast 17 weeks? Tell me a little bit more about that as well. Yeah. So, so it's with uninterrupted uh, me, Jamal Adams, and Emmanuel Sanders. And really, we just want to talk about everyday life. And we want to give weekly analysis about our performances, the performances of our peers on the podcast, and basically just get uh, people to understand that, you know, outside of football, how we think, how we interact, you know, things about our family, things about everyday life. Let people know that, you know, we can relate to you guys and you guys can relate to us. And it's, it's really dope. It's really genuine. And it's funny. I mean, we got three three of the greatest uh, personalities, I think. Emmanuel Sanders is hilarious. Jamal Adams. I mean, everybody knows about Jamal Adams. <laughs> By the way, he was dancing after he got Did you see what he did on social media this week? Yeah, it, well, posted in his helmet. Well, yeah. Did you notice what was in the initial background before he deleted the picture? <laughs> no. He initially posted something. <laughs> there was something in that picture that shouldn't have been there. He deleted the picture and reposted. You could ask him about it on your podcast. I'm going to ask him because I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put it this way. Eric, you got to be aware of your surroundings, and you got to be aware of what's the on time. your table. All the That's time, 100%. All, all the time. And, and, and Jamal had all – he just he – just, you, you got to be a little bit aware. He, he, just, he just wasn't fully paying attention. So he goes. It'd be like that. It'd be like that. It'd be like that. <laughs> so, yeah, so and, and we know how you are now away, away from football. You're the guy that sends flowers to your wife. You're the yeah. guy that plays Man, I'm all, about my, I'm all about my family, man. That's it. I, I love my boys. I got two beautiful boys, man, a beautiful wife. And when I could get out and play golf when she allows me to, that's what I try to do. So I'm, that's really it, man. It's, it's kind of it's kind of saved my life and made me a better person. So. My wife is dope. My kids are awesome. Football, I don't really need much else, man. Why do you say it saved your life? Uh, because, man, my wife, my wife kind of helped me grow, um, be a better person, kind of helped me focus on my game. Um, ever since we had our first kid, you know, I kind of took my game to a whole nother level and kind of just been playing 
um, more, more for, with, with more passion uh, for the game of football, knowing that, you know, my kids will one day, you know, try to look up to my story. So it's, it's kind of giving me a boost, man. And she's kind of helped provide that, that extra momentum, you know, uh, seven years in the league is not easy. And I, I look forward to doing hopefully seven more. So, you know, I'll, I'll need her by my side. She brings a lot of energy and that's, that's kind of what I look forward to every day. Well, Eric, I want you to know you have an open invitation to be on this podcast anytime. You've got an open invitation to come play golf with me in New York. I play two, three, four times a year. But if you're ever in New York and you want to play golf, <laughs> shoot me a, a DM, slide into my DMs, as they say, and we, we, I'll take you out. Okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a good time together. And I appreciate you making the time that you did today uh, to share some of your insight. And also, let's not pretend you got to win here, too. We're promoting whatever comic book work you're doing, and people can listen to your podcast yeah, as well. For sure, man. For sure. It's different avenues, man. It's different avenues. It's about time I, seven years in the league, man, it's about time I just open up and get people and let, let them know who, who I really am, you know, because we can't do this game forever, and I would like people to, you know, just get to know me, man, on my way on my way out of the league or on, on my upsending, descending career. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you, Eric. Well, congratulations Appreciate on all your it, success. Man. Keep up the great work. I appreciate making time today, and we'll be in touch in the future. Yes, sir. Have a good one, man. And there is the Steelers tight end, Eric Ebron, who clearly has a future in either broadcasting, podcasting, whatever venture he wants to go into. Very engaging young man. Like that guy a lot. All right. There's no better. All right. Before we get to our next guest, who's very insightful and very interesting and very enjoyable, the former Bengals linebacker, Reggie Williams. Dartmouth educated Reggie Williams. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now our next guest. Our joining us now is a former NFL linebacker, a member of the College Football Hall of Fame, somebody who was instrumental in building the sports-themed empire during his tenure as a Walt Disney executive who played in the NFL, was honored as the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year for his community service. He later served on the Cincinnati City Council, which is something you don't hear from a lot of players, went on to become a general manager for the New York, New Jersey Knights of the World League of American Football. As an NFL executive, who established the first NFL youth education town. He's from Flint, Michigan. He went to Dartmouth College. You can tell he's a Renaissance man. And he's got a new book out called Resilient by Nature, Reflections from a Life of Winning on and Off the Field, the former Bengals linebacker, Reggie Williams. Reggie, thank you very much for taking the time today. Well, thank you very much for having me on your program, uh, Adam. I am a big fan of yours, and I appreciate such a warm introduction. Did I miss anything in the introduction there, Reggie? Because that's quite an extensive resume there. No, I think you covered the gist of it. We try to cover, you know, the ebb and flow of uh, all of the different experiences in my life through the book, uh, Resilient by Nature, which was a collaboration with uh, Jared Bell. And uh, it was really a great uh, collaboration. Uh, the Ford is written by Seattle Seahawks quarterback uh, Russell Wilson. And that is in large part because his father, Harrison B. Wilson the third, was uh, one of my best friends at Dartmouth. We played um, college football together. We were multi-sport athletes together and just remained great friends. And, um, and I appreciate an opportunity to really reflect upon uh, the days when the Cincinnati Bengals used to be in the Super Bowl. I mean, those are great <laughs> memories. It's been a long time uh, for the Cincinnati Bengal fans to really feel a sense of pride. Hopefully those Bengal fans that are holding on for Joe Barrow to uh, turn the corner will find and uh, turning the pages of my book, they'll remember some of the good times when uh, we were standing on the threshold of being a world champion ourselves, which is an ancient memory for Cincinnati Bengal fans. Now, you bring up Russell Wilson and being good friends with his father and Russell Wilson writing the forward to your book with Jared Bell. Did you 
know and track Russell all during his childhood and his college career until he got to Seattle? Like, did you see this coming? I did not see it coming to the degree that he has become such a dominant leader, a come-behind juggernaut, uh, someone you can never count out. Uh, I mean, you know, he has that will, you know, which I saw in his father, but to see it executed as an athlete in such a complicated game as uh, football has become, uh, he's really has uh, exceeded every expectation that I have for him, and I'm sure his father would have been so proud. His father was such a good friend. When I went into all of uh, the operations I did in 2008, uh, going through what was my third knee replacement, uh, the return of osteomyelitis, um, that was the same time that uh, Harry B. Wilson lost his leg and uh, from diabetes. And uh, we talked from the hospital and I was telling him about the problems I was having with my leg, and the doctors are trying to talk me into an amputation. And his father was the one that was giving me all the great advice, you know, selflessly. And uh, not really worried about his situation. He's giving advice for my concerns. And um, unfortunately, um, he fell uh, with his one leg, and that's uh, he hit his head and never came out of the coma. And, uh, you know, that fighting spirit, that caring spirit is something I see every time I see Russell Wilson, both on the field but off the field, the way he is with his family. So he's a tremendous leader. He's having a great uh, season thus far, and I just wish him continued success. Now, you bring up the book Resilient by Nature. What is the one or two things, Reggie, that you hope people who read it take away? Because you've had such a decorated career. And I'm sure there's got to be some great lessons in there for people. What would you hope they take away from it? Well, one of the greatest lessons of my life is just uh, the fact that I was born in 1954, the year of the Brown versus Board of Education decision. My first hero was Supreme Court uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall. And the reason that I, I speak to that from the very beginning, my parents taught me that education is going to be the way to success. And if I invest into truth, the pursuit of learnings, uh, I will be able to um, exceed my expectations in my life. Remember, 1954, um, we were still in the depths of Jim Crow era. The Civil Rights Acts of 1964 hadn't even been thought of yet. And yet, education has been that key. And then beyond that is perseverance. And that's where the whole story of resilience. You're going to face adversity. And it's important for you to be grounded in self-knowledge and love and truth and really will oneself to overcome tremendous adversity in real time, uh, which I uh, learned over several episodes in my life. Probably the scariest one was when I was in college surrounded by a pack of dogs wild dogs outside of Mexico City, unable to speak Spanish as well as I felt I needed to. And I just had to be resilient in the midst of so much danger. And for some reason, focusing in on that alpha dog and making this alpha dog focus on me, somehow I got out of that situation unscathed. And there's been many circumstances in life that I've come out unscathed. The surgeries that I'm going through, the pain, the discomfort, it is tough. But in knowing the truth that these surgeries, the pain is going to be worth it. Because right now, I am walking totally pain-free, something I haven't done in over a decade. And so I hope everyone can learn lessons in my book that allow them to overcome some of the adversities that they're facing in their life. Are these surgeries related to your football career, 14 seasons in the NFL as an outside linebacker, all with the Bengals, starting both of the Bengals Super Bowl games against the 49ers, starring at Dartmouth, being enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame? How much of your physical pain today, Reggie, is related to your football career? I didn't have a single uh, football-related surgery or major injury um, in high school or in college. 
Uh, my first knee operation was in 1979. And what made it uh, so significant was the medical technology at that time. I had a simple uh, cartilage tear. Uh, right now, through arthroscopic surgery, that's something that could be fixed and you could be walking within days. But at that time, they used to cut the leg completely open, take out all of the cartilage, then sew you back up. It was major surgery. You're out for four weeks and uh, minimally. And um, then you're reduced to playing bone on bone. And because I played bone on bone for another seven years, it wasn't until 1986 that I had what was then an experimental operation. It was ultimately turned into microfracture surgery, but at that time they called it an abrasion. So I was a guinea pig. And so by willing to, by my willingness to be a guinea pig was because of my desperation to have one more chance to get into the Super Bowl after losing Super Bowl 16. But that operation is the reason um, that uh, I've had so many knee uh, issues. You bring up being born in 1954 and idolizing Thurgood Marshall and living through Jim Crow. What is your reaction to what's going on in the world today and where we're at with Black Lives Matter and the voices that athletes have used and others have used to try to fight racial and social injustice? We are unfortunately, Adam, in one of the worst racial climates uh, this country has seen uh, since 1968. And 1968 was a significant uh, um, era of mourning in uh, this country. It was the assassination of Martin Luther King. It resulted in nationwide riots. Well, we're having those nationwide riots today. And and 1968, there was a referendum on leadership. And George Wallace was one of those candidates. And one of the reasons I think we returned to 1968 is unfortunately we have a president that now sows in dissent and distrust amongst Americans. There's no reason why we all, like uh, members of a team, um, can work together, even though we have multiple differences individually. Together, we can collectively work towards uh, our mutual goals, and America has never been so disjointed. And so I, I applaud uh, everyone who's really trying to come together to uh, bring about uh, recognition of the fact that Black lives do matter, that the only way that all lives can matter is if Black Lives Matter. And in the respect of Black Lives Matter, there needs to be some changes to the system of institutional racism that exists. And to uh, not be open to talking about redistributing resources to help different parts of the community is, is not the leadership that we need at this time. We need the only way that we can solve a problem is by recognizing the problem. And uh, recognizing that problem is not trying to stir up more animus amongst uh, someone's followers uh, in a time where, unfortunately, there is just too much violence and too much use and reliance on guns in this country. So I, I appreciate you asking the question. Yep. You know, I really uh, think that it's important for. Um, for everyone to be an ally in this situation. And I appreciate you being an ally and other uh, individuals who supported the, the need for justice for all people in this country. Well, it's interesting to me because again, your credentials speak for themselves. We're talking about somebody who's won the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year, who went to Dartmouth, who served on the Cincinnati City Council. And you are saying to me, that we have never been more disjointed as a country. That's quite a statement there, Reggie. I mean, in, in modern times, since, uh, you know, the Civil War, and all of the hope I had as a child growing up is that we were making progress. We were making progress. We got past 1968. We were making progress. I had an opportunity 
um, maybe because of affirmative action coming out of the Martin Luther King assassination, I had a chance to get a quality education in the Ivy League. Now, the truth of it is I would have preferred to have gone to Michigan, but Bo Schimbecker said I wasn't good enough to go to Michigan, so uh, I ended up I heard League. that. It, I heard that. It, yeah, it was a true story, and you know, I had a chance to see Bo Schimbeckler uh, uh, several years later uh, while I was in the NFL, and he was so gracious. You know, I asked him about it. He said, yeah, I remember that. And I, he basically said, you know, we all make mistakes, and that's true. And um, so he fueled me, though. So in, in some ways, I don't know if I would have been as tenacious as I was in the Ivy League, if I hadn't been so um, abjectly <laughs> insulted to my face by someone yeah. that I really loved, I had so much respect for Bo Schembechler. You know, it's funny you say that. I went to Michigan, and Bo Schembechler was the head coach of the first football team that I ever covered. And wow. he, used, he used to have a luncheon, Reggie, every Monday at a place called Weber's Inn. And on that Monday, sports writers from the Detroit area were invited to go and listen to him speak about the upcoming opponent and the upcoming game, and, and they would serve you lunch. Now, as a student, I would go to that lunch every Monday during football season. To me, I would skip class. I would go to the lunch. I would order chicken or fish or whatever they served. Like, I get a good, hot lunch meal while I was in college, and I listened to Bo <laughs> Schembechler talk. For 30 minutes. And I remember when I was leaving college, I saw Bo and I said, hey, I, I want to thank you for all the lessons that you taught me. There was nothing better to me, Bo, than going to listen to you talk every Monday and listening how you spoke about your opponent, listening to the stories you told about your players. And he looked at me and he slapped me on the cheek and he goes, you like to bullshit, son, don't you? <laughs> I, I just always remember that story about Bo Schembechler, but he was somebody that I loved and idolized as a college student. And honestly, I never took a class with him, but I considered him like a professor that I had at the University of Michigan because he was that much of a commanding presence, right? Exactly. I mean, he was throughout my childhood growing up. You know, uh, I didn't even uh, really think about going to Michigan State because of, uh, you know, my. Uh, my love for the maize and blue. And, but yet, coming out of high school, uh, my biggest aspiration was just to run out of the tunnel in the big house. That's all would have satisfied me. And uh, um, so, yes, in his own way, um, Bo Schimbeckler motivated me to be a much better player than I could have been. And, uh, you know, I do um, appreciate his legacy. Um, as one of the greatest uh, college uh, um, head coaches of all time. And what a great rivalry he had with Ohio State and uh, Woody Hayes. So that is, that is one of the great chapters in uh, the history of uh, college football. Oh, yeah. He, he, he was quite a man. Now, later on in your career, Reggie, you went on to work as an executive at Walt Disney. You were in charge with developing the wide world of sports complex at Disney World. So – is there a certain sense of pride that you feel in watching these NBA finals right now unfold in an area that you helped design? Oh, Adam, I tell you, it has been so rewarding. I am so proud of um, the honor that uh, ESPN Wide World of Sports has in uh, hosting the NBA championship. And the thrill I have, obviously, is, is the baby that I can see uh, that I designed um, on paper, on swampland in Florida, and really was focused in on the authenticity of sports. Because of the authenticity of the pain that I felt as a competing athlete in losing two Super Bowls, I'm going to tell you, Adam, you never get over it. You know, the fact that, you know, it's an unfulfilled dream that you have. And so part of my whole goal uh, when given the opportunity to start thinking sports at Walt Disney World was to really capitalize on all of the assets and branding that the Walt Disney Company had. You know, they were traditionally, you know, the number one vacation destination in the world, but they weren't attracting kids who played sports during the summer. Uh, during the summer, 
the travel teams, they're going to go where the competition is. And um, the opportunity to build an authentic sports complex where kids from the four corners of the world can come to meet, to compete, and buy for the biggest trophy in their sport. But even if they lose their opportunity to still be at the happiest place on earth was something that I didn't have when I lost my two Super Bowls. Because being happy with your best effort in your life is really a great place to be. One should not be uh, second best in a world champion and feel like they're a loser and feel depressed for the rest of their life. But that is, unfortunately, uh, some of the uh, the circumstances of many um, retired uh, uh, pro football players. And it could be a result of the concussions. It could be a recognition of some of the symptoms of CTE. But uh, the whole goal is you play sports for fun. And win or lose, this should always still remain fun. But it still bothers you to this day that you lost both your Super Bowl games with the Bengals? Both? Uh, yes. I mean, to some degree, I mean, it's, it's just a big hole in my heart. I mean, I honestly would never have left Cincinnati if uh, we had uh, won either one of those goals. I mean, I really love the city. I really love serving the community as a city councilman. I probably would have uh, continued uh, pursuing higher office. At the time, I made the decision uh, to uh, leave Cincinnati and go to New York to be general manager of the New York, New Jersey Knights. I was testing for statewide office with Joel Hyatt, a lawyer uh, who had uh, a national chain of Hyatt legal services. But he was the son-in-law of uh, the Senator Metzenbaum, and I had the support of John Glenn, and uh, I was going to run as his lieutenant governor. And, um, you know, but, you know, neither uh, I nor him, you know, really knew what would be the consequences, you know, when I think about it, that was 1990, that the fact that 30 years later, a Super Bowl has not come to Cleveland or Cincinnati. <laughs> so, you know, there's something about that battleground state of Ohio, you know, that uh, is unfortunately not the fertile ground that it used to be when Paul Brown was the legendary uh, coach of the Browns. Reggie, what would you have said if I had said that there'd be a black president before the Bengals or Browns won a Super Bowl? Wow, now that's a perspective that I hadn't thought of, but that is true. A black president before the Bengals, the Browns, to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's that's pretty. Yeah, that's an amazing thought. Never thought of it that way before. No, I haven't. I haven't. You know, I obviously do think there's a corollary between sports and politics, but I haven't put it in that kind of dramatic, uh, you know, terms. You know. Right. Yeah, leave, leave, the, leave, the, drama, leave the drama to me. Leave the drama to me, Reggie. That, that's yeah, what I do for that, a living, You right? do a great job of it, Adam. <laughs> Reggie, you brought up CTE. Do you have reason to believe that you have it? I had a chance to uh, go to a lecture that Dr. Omalu um, was speaking at, and I had a chance to ask him afterwards uh, um, about my circumstance, the fact that I had four concussions and I played 14 years in the NFL as a linebacker in a contact position. And he said 100% that uh, he felt I had CTE. Uh, but then I went to the University of Florida up in Gainesville. They are the only ones in the state of Florida that are studying CTE. And I went and took a, a, a battery of tests all day and they came to the conclusion that I didn't have CTE. But my evaluation is I just know that some of the symptoms of CTE I do have. I do have dramatic uh, mood swings. Um, you know, I mean, very emotional, you know, to the point of tears when I hear, you know, just some really warm-hearted stories, you know, about people helping people. It could be people helping animals or anything like yeah. that. But, uh, you know, it really brings, uh, uh, you know, uh, a tear to, to my eyes. And then on the flip side of the coin, anything revolving around taking away health care 
anything revolving around uh, continued injustice um, in the, our society, all of those things bring out a, a really red hot anger, which is not healthy either. Uh, I don't have any of the bad dreams anymore, and I attribute that to really the joy and the pride I have in what has become, you know, ESPN Wide World of Sports, you know, you know, the number one destination in the world for kids because the, the joy the kids will have, win or lose, that they're going to be playing in the same place as an NBA champion was crowned. And uh, that is something special. You know, no matter what sport you play, uh, you have a chance to touch greatness in your own sports career. That's why it was so memorable. Uh, my very, very first NFL preseason game, it was at Lambeau Field. And, man, just walking on that field. You know, all of my heroes who had played in that field. Phil um, Sombardi was my favorite coach growing up. But, you know, being a part of a great tradition is, is really uh, what uh, creates a great uh, history. And, you know, the NFL has it. And so now, um, this year, as unfortunate as the pandemic uh, has been, it's also a story of resilience and persistence by uh, two entities working together to solve a major global problem. That's the Walt Disney Company and the NBA. <clears throat> two great leaders that really showed the world that this can be defeated. And uh, kudos to all involved. Now, did you also recently donate your brain to science to the Chris Nowitzki yeah. Concussion Legacy Foundation in Boston? Yes, I did, Adam. And, you know, that, that was a, a, a very uh, tough decision because you're, you're talking about, you know, your ultimate circumstances of death. But my goal is uh, to try to bring more clarity uh, to um, the, meta, um, the possibility of um, living with uh, CTE successfully. Um, you know, it should not be a death sentence. I wrote a book while I had CTE, if indeed I did. Plus, uh, uh, the Concussion Legacy Project, they are so sincere. They really are caring. And they really are trying to um, be a force of good in this uh, newly found uh, degenerative uh, mental situation. Yeah, it's a tough conversation with my kids, my kids, you know. Your kids don't want to talk to you about death, but I, I am an organ donor, and so um, it's a discussion that, you know, you have to have with your kids in order to successfully uh, be able to carry out my wishes. And before I let you go, Reggie, again, and I'm sure you may touch on this in your new book, uh, with Jared Bell, Resilient by Nature, Reflections from a Life of Winning on and off the field. You've led this incredible life. You've done so much good. But here's a very broad question for you. What is the key to living a good life? Well, I, I don't know the key. I'll tell you an important ingredient, and that's going to be love. And you know, love is empowering. Um, you know, uh, when you're going through a whole lot of adversity, when you're going through a whole lot of pain, um, you have to love yourself a whole lot to endure, you know, uh, what, what you're going through. So, uh, and love is one of those fundamental things that, uh, that we are blessed with when we have great parents, you know, or we have a great spouse, if we have great relationships with our kids. You know, love is not singular. Uh, love builds on as many times and as many ways as you can replicate it. So um, at, at the essence of the key to a long life uh, is, uh, is being in love with life. And uh, I've had, uh, you know, that one moment of scare of, of real depression in college when I thought about the suicide and I started trying to act upon uh, that uh, suicidal intent. And it wasn't until, you know, in the throes of, you know, crying and running that I sort of fell in love with myself for running and running so fast as I'm running down a field that never run as fast. And start saying, wow, you know, I am really running pretty fast here. And I, you know, I'm doing something I didn't know I could do. And, uh, you know, so we should really all value our lives 
in as many ways, you know, always reach out whenever you're feeling, uh, you know, any of the symptoms of depression. Reach out to the people you love. Uh, reach out to the things you love, the books you've loved in the past, the music you've loved in the past, the art that you've loved in the past. And, uh, you know, inundate yourself with the positive things that you can, especially uh, during the times that we're going through. Hey, Reggie, I want to thank you for being an inspiration. I want to thank you for creating or helping to create the wide world of sports at Disney World, the wide world of sports complex at Disney World. I want to thank you for being you, for your book, for your time today. And it was truly an honor to get to speak with you on my podcast. It was an honor to be with you, Adam. I continue to say to you. And uh, obviously, uh, ESPN is one of my uh, favorite uh, stations. You know, I remember being at uh, Disney in 1995 when they bought Cap City. And there was this little subset of, of the company, uh, the cable company, ESPN. I said, whoo, this is a major acquisition. It's only because of talent like you that has made it the worldwide leader. Thanks for having me on, Adam. You're very kind. Appreciate you, Reggie, and lots of luck with the book again, and thank you for the time. Thanks, Adam. How nice and thoughtful is the great Reggie Williams. An honor to have him on the Adam Schefter podcast. Before we get to our next guest, Evan Kaplan, previewing week five and some of the great quarterback play from Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and what could and should be his final Monday night game. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now our next guest. Oh, we now bring in my friend, my colleague, the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. Evan, before we begin, I have to tell you the story. When I first started covering the Denver Broncos and the NFL way back in 1990 for the Rocky Mountain News in Colorado, I remember going out there and speaking to a reporter for the Denver Post, a wise old gentleman who became a friend of mine by the name of Joe Sanchez. And Joe was just such a nice man and very knowledgeable and educational about the beat. And I came out there fresh out of college where I was writing one or two stories a week for the student newspaper to find out that in Denver and really every NFL city, you had to write a story or two stories, or even three stories every single day about that team. And when I left college and came to the beat and recognized that I had to do that much work every single day, I was blown away. And I said to Joe Sanchez, who wrote for the Denver Post at the time, Joe, what do we do if there's nothing to write about? (laughs) And he said, Adam, it's very simple. When you don't know what to write about, write about the quarterback. There you go. (laughs) And so, as we begin our podcast to be look ahead to week five, when you don't know what to do, you talk about the quarterback. And we've got a lot of quarterbacks to talk about this week. So we have actual topics, unlike what I had back in the day at the Denver Post, we had to manufacture stories about John Elway every single day, which is why he got crazy with the coverage of what he gave out for Halloween and everything like that. It drove him nuts living in that fishbowl. But we got legitimate quarterback topics. And we're going to start out with Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs quarterback, looking to continue his divisional dominance. What do we make of that? Well, I love that story, Adam. And, and that's what it's about, right? The, the NFL is about quarterbacks. And when you've got great quarterback play, that normally leads to winning. So Let's stay in the AFC West from from your Broncos story, and we'll talk about the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. 
improved to four and zero on Monday against the Patriots, and and now they host the Raiders in Week Five, and and his his numbers everywhere are out of this world. So let's put that disclaimer out there. But you look at his numbers against the AFC West in divisional games, it's off the charts. Thirteen and one in his career. The only loss was against the Chargers a few years back. Four and zero against the Raiders. Twenty nine touchdown passes. Six interceptions. He can become the first QB to debut since the 1970 merger to win 14 of his first 15 divisional starts. And Adam, let me know what you think about this. Certainly some other team, Seahawks, uh, Bills have started 4-0. But after those two games on Monday, I got the impression that at the quarter pole of the season, there is no one that's been more impressive than the Chiefs and the Packers, both 4-0. Neither of their starting quarterbacks has thrown an interception. They're 1-2 in total QBR. Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers first, Mahomes second. Nobody's been more impressive than those two teams through through a quarter of the season. Well, to your point, if you look at those two particular teams, right, the Packers and the Chiefs at this point in time, mm-hmm. Rodgers and Mahomes have combined for 24 touchdown passes and zero interceptions Amazing. and zero, zero losses, both 4-0. And they've been great, those two particular players. I would make the argument that those two, along with Russell Wilson and Josh Allen, are the MVPs of the league, which takes us to Sunday night and Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. He meets again in primetime with Kirk Cousins. How does that shape up? Wilson was great. In prim- Wilson's been great in every game. 16 touchdown passes this season. That's tied for the most through four games in NFL history. And back in primetime on Sunday night after he threw five touchdowns in his only other primetime game against the season, that was against the Patriots in week two, a great game, one of the best we've seen through four weeks. And it's the third straight year that these two will meet under the lights. So there's a lot of parallels when you look at Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins going back to their college days. They both met in the Big Ten when Wilson was at Wisconsin, Cousins at Michigan State. Uh, They both came into the league the same year in 2012. But, you know, look – Wilson has won the previous two matchups, which were actually both on Monday night in Seattle the last two years. Uh, Cousins better in primetime last season, but for their careers, not much of a comparison. Came into the league in 2012. Russell Wilson is 27-7-1 and in his career in primetime games. That's the best record by any QB with at least 10 starts since the 1970 merger. Kirk Cousins 7-15 and in those primetime games. So, the, the Vikings coming off their first win of the season. Seahawks traveled back from Miami uh, after they improved to 4-0. I think this will be an interesting game. We'll see how the Seahawks deal with Dalvin Cook. But when you talk about the two quarterbacks and Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, certainly a disparity there in terms of primetime performance. And just going back to one thing you said before, Adam, we, we always – the MVP – we seem to fixate more on the NFL MVP than mm-hmm. we ever have before. I don't know what the reason is for that, but mm-hmm. that's, just, that's just the impression I get. And to have four quarterbacks start the year as impressively as we have this year with Russell Wilson, Rodgers, Mahomes, and Josh Allen, I, that, that seems like we haven't had that in a long time. It almost seems like there's always one or two guys who really separate themselves. This year that's not happening. I don't know if that has to do with all of the offensive records we're seeing. You know, we've seen the most points, touchdowns, et cetera, through this point in the season. I don't know if that's part of the factor. Or as we go back to what you started the podcast with or started our segment with, it's just all about the quarterbacks. And this year we're getting lucky that we've gotten some great quarterback play. You also reminded me, last year we together stood on the field in Seattle and watched Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins duel. And I remember the storyline of that game going in was the fact that Kirk Cousins, I believe, never had won a Monday night football game as a starting quarterback. Is that still the case, or did he win one last year? I'm trying to remember. Nope, that is still the case. Uh, Kirk Cousins has never won a Monday night football game in his career. Uh, We will get the Minnesota Vikings on Monday night. Uh, I believe it's coming up relatively soon. Uh, Yeah, week uh, week 10, still still about six weeks. Week 10, they'll be at the Bears this year. So Cousins, he has never won on Monday night. It's a big narrative. This is the narrative that will always follow Kirk Cousins around. I, I think the win in New Orleans in the wild card round last year against the Saints uh, really helped him in that regard. But until he has uh, that 11-5, and 12-4 season, makes a really deep playoff run at the championship game, this is, this is what's going to follow him around. 
Now, the guy we will have on Monday Night Football who's never had an issue on Monday Night Football is Drew Brees. And again, I remind you that after the Pro Bowl last year, he told the Saints that he was planning to retire. He changed his mind a couple of different times, I think, went back and wound up coming back to play this year, despite the fact that he's got a contract with NBC for whenever his football career ends, which I believe it will be this year. So if this is his Monday night finale, what does that mean to you, Evan? Drew Brees has unquestionably been one of the most exciting and one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. And that that translates over to Monday night football. It's always great when the all-time greats play their best on the biggest stage. And that's what Monday night football is. Everybody watching each week. And he he's his numbers on Monday night football, third all-time in pass attempts, passing yards, touchdown passes, trailing only, Dan Marino and Brett Favre. Think about all the great moments he's had too in the Super Bowl, Superdome, excuse me, on Monday night. From all the way back when one of the most memorable moments in NFL history, when the Saints reopened the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina, that was the first ever home start for Breeze with the Saints. And then going through the years, all the records, he broke the single season passing record. He broke the all-time passing yards record. He broke the all-time touchdown passes record, all on Monday night, all in the Superdome. And one other thing that we need to mention with Drew Brees, the, only, the other time he played on Monday night this year at the Raiders, they lost that game. They didn't have Michael Thomas. They haven't had Michael Thomas the past few weeks. There was all the talk about Drew Brees' demise, right? He wasn't pushing the ball downfield. All of it, is he done? Well, since that since that happened, since, well, two games since then, he's has he has a total QBR of 89 out of 100. He's completing 79% of his passes with five touchdowns. He's pushing the ball down the field. His average pass last week against the Lions traveled almost nine yards downfield on average after it was under five in the first three games. So Drew Brees has really gotten backlocked in. Another angle, he gets to play the Chargers, the team he drafted mm. there. It, there's no shortage of storylines with this mm. game, which is always so much fun, Adam. Right? We 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 spend days thinking about how we're going to preview those games on Monday Night Countdown for two hours every week. Yeah, we won't have an issue this week with Breeze against the Chargers. No, the two quarterback storylines there with the Chargers drafting Justin Herbert and what they do with Herbert and mm-hmm. Tyrod Taylor, and Drew Brees having been drafted by the San Diego Chargers and then moving on from him to make room for Philip Rivers. I mean, think about what would have happened if they either never drafted Philip Rivers or they decided to trade Philip Rivers and keep Drew Brees. And Drew Brees had been with the Chargers. Would the Chargers have wound up moving right. to Los Angeles or would they have stayed in San Diego? Would that have been enough to get a stadium done at that point in time? Might he have taken them to a Super Bowl sooner? There's so many, there's so many angles to cover with, with that whole movement from Brees chargers to the saints and i don't think it was an accident that that the schedule makers looked at this one saw they were playing this year and said ah you know what might not be a bad idea to put this one on monday night and we will have that for everybody monday night with monday night countdown starting at 6 p.m eastern this upcoming monday night before drew Brees plays what we believe will be his final monday night game with the new orleans saints evan this will not be your final appearance on the Adam Schefter podcast. We thank you for the time this week. Have a great week. Thanks, Adam. We'll talk next week. See, Evan, see how easy that was? Joe Sanchez, my wise old mentor, was right. And there is, once again, Evan Kaplan, who we thank for joining us on a weekly basis to provide great statistical insight into the upcoming matchups and play of some of the top stars in our league. And before we sign off, I should point out that last week on Friday, the Ravens cornerback, Marlon Humphrey, signed a five-year, $98.75 million extension. And after he signed that contract, he held a press conference and he thanked his father, Bobby. And I have to tell you that it was personal for Marlon to do that and it was personal for me. Because as we mentioned, to Evan Kaplan about covering the Denver Broncos back in 1990. That same year, I also covered a running back for the Denver Broncos named Bobby Humphrey. Bobby Humphrey was Marlon Humphrey's father. And one of my very first assignments in Denver 
back in 1990 was that Bobby Humphrey was holding out after he helped take the Denver Broncos to a Super Bowl. And Bobby Humphrey, the Broncos' former first-round draft pick, who was a great running back in the day, was in Alabama, away from Denver, out of touch with the organization. And the newspaper that I worked for at the time, the Rocky Mountain News, said, Adam, we're going to send you to Alabama to go find Bobby Humphrey to do the ultimate sit-down interview with him and find out what he thinks about why he has not shown up in Denver this year and why he has been such a thorn to the Broncos. So I flew to Alabama and I spent three full days in Birmingham looking for Bobby Humphrey and I never found him. It was the three longest worst days of my professional career. The three, not it wasn't the worst, but it was the most unproductive three days of my career. And I went in there without a plan, without any strategy, without contacting anyone in advance. And when I think back to that, who was the genius who sent me there in that regard? And what was I doing going there, just thinking that I would go find Bobby Humphrey? I was so young, so green. And Bobby Humphrey to me is a reminder of how far I had to go and how much I had to learn in the newspaper business before I found Bobby Humphrey. And so 30 plus years later, I found it very interesting that Bobby Humphrey's son, Marlon Humphrey, would sign a contract extension for almost $100 million. It showed me how long I've been in this business, how far the journey has been from Birmingham, Alabama, not only for Bobby Humphrey, but for me. And Marlon Humphrey got his payoff, and I still was unable to track down the great Bobby Humphrey back in the day. What an experience that was. What an education that was. And just like I learned from the great Joe Sanchez, always write about the quarterbacks, I learned from Bobby Humphrey that you better go in with a plan. You better not show up unannounced without any strategy, without any idea of what to do. And so I learned about quarterbacks in Denver in 1990. I learned about running backs in Denver in 1990. And you can see where, even though I went to Michigan undergrad and Northwestern grad school, I feel like I got my real education at Denver Broncos U in 1990, thanks in part to the great Bobby Humphrey, who I never found in Alabama. All right, that's this week's podcast. Special thanks to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this all together. Special thanks to my great guests this week, and I do mean great. They were excellent. Eric Ebron, really good. Reggie Williams, really good. Evan Kaplan, excellent again. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we look back on week five. Hopefully it's a calmer week than this previous one. And we begin to get ready for week six. And you can feel the season starting to get rolling here where it gets to go flying by. We're starting to get on that track. And I'm sure it's only going to accelerate from here. And until then, have a great week, everybody. Be well and stay safe.